Today we're talking about parables. We're, when we talked about swapping pulpits, I'm like kind of OCD on, on order uh, in sermons, and we're in a parable series in the summer, and you're going through John. And uh, so then God struck me again, and he said, well, I do have one parable in John. It's in John chapter 10. There's only one parable in the whole gospel of John, and uh, it's John chapter 10, kind of a parable uh, about the good shepherd. And uh, so you can preach, if we preach on John 10, then you guys can stay in John, and my church can stay on parables, and we're all good. So that's what we're doing. So we're both preaching on John chapter 10, and we both get to stay in our series. Isn't it amazing how God works these things out, right? It takes care of all the little details. Um, but Jesus told parables, and just to sort of bring you up to speed on this idea of parables and, and the parables that we're going through in the Gospels, Jesus told parables as a method of introducing uh, correction into faulty worldviews. Parables took common stories and used those common stories to upset or correct uh, common errors about God and ourselves, or to reveal uncommon truths that people were resistant to accepting. And so there's one parable, there's several, but there's one main parable in the Old Testament, actually, that you might remember, uh, the prophet uh, Nathan with King David. And he told the story to King David of the man, the rich man who had many sheep and a huge flock, and uh, the poor man who had only one, and he had a little lamb that he loved dearly, and he actually fed the lamb in his arms. And the rich man had company come into town, and he didn't want to kill any of his own sheep, so he took the sheep of the poor man and slaughtered it to serve as food for the man who visited. And David rightly gets incensed, right? He's upset at this injustice that had happened, and uh, he says, you know, bring me this man, you know, there's going to be justice. And Nathan says, um, King, it's you. You're the man. It wasn't a sheep. It was a wife, Bathsheba, remember? And you had that man killed. And So these parables are told to tell penetrating truths through very common stories. And what you'll find in the parables in the Gospels that Jesus teaches is that um, they're almost all parables that Jesus tell are telling two different things. Um, they are meant to cast new light on how outrageous the grace of God is towards us, on one hand, and the dangerous predicament that we are in if we rely on anything other than that grace. So whenever you read any parable, just about any of the parables that Jesus tells, you can look for those two things. There's God's alarming grace and just outrageous grace that shocks us how generous and gracious he is, and there's our dangerous predicament that we are in if we do not have that grace. And so you can think of the generous ruler and the greedy servant, the ruler forgives him millions of dollars of debt, and then that poor servant goes and demands $20 from his friend. So he doesn't recognize the outrageous grace of the master or the dangerous predicament that his lack of grace has put him in. Or you can think about the workers in the field that are early and late. Right, The late workers got paid the same denarii that the early workers got paid, and the early workers are immediately angry and upset because these late workers who came so late to the field to work in God's kingdom received the same pay and they're frustrated. They think God is somehow holding out on them that he owes them some grace because of the work that they did, some blessing. And the dangerous predicament that those workers found themselves in being angry at God because his grace was so outrageous to those that seemingly deserved less. You know, and, and there's so many of them. The tax collector who confesses his sin and beats his breast at the temple, confessing his sin that he's a sinner, 
versus the Pharisee who prays and talks to God about how gracious he is, grateful he is that he's not like that tax collector, that he tithes and that he prays and that he fasts and all of those other things. And the message of that parable is the outlandish and outrageous grace of God to forgive that tax collector, that publican, that he would go home justified and the dangerous predicament that the Pharisee is in, that he did not go home justified that day. So all of Jesus' parables, almost all of them tell the same story, the outrageous nature of God's grace and the dangerous predicament that we are in if we don't have that grace. And so as you read parables, you can sort of look for more than that, but at least those two things. And so because Pastor David's been talking about the Gospel of John and we've been doing the parable series, we're going to do John 10. And the parable here can be considered a parable as the parable of the Good Shepherd. And I just want to pray before we look into the context of that and read God's Word and see whether we can find the outrageous and outlandish grace of God and the dangerous predicament if we are apart from it in this parable. Let's pray. Father God, as we look into your Word, I just pray that you would open our hearts and you would open our minds to hear your voice, that we would know what it is that we would learn today that would transform us, that we would not leave this place the same as we come, but we would leave new people growing ever and ever more like your Son, Jesus Christ, sanctified uh, by your Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So a little bit of context then. Jesus, in chapter 9 of, of John, has just healed a man who was blind from birth. And he did it on the Sabbath day. And the Pharisees hear about this healing that has gone on, that Jesus has done. And they find the man, and they have the man brought to them, uh, probably there near the synagogue. And um, they question him about how it was done. And there begins to be a division among the Jews. And we want to note that fact, okay? In John 9, 16, it says, Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. That, that is a division even among the Pharisees. They're divided about who Jesus is and what he's doing. Some were not sure what exactly this miracle meant. And they're starting to doubt themselves. And that's a healthy doubt for those Pharisees to have. They, they should have that doubt about what they believe about Jesus. Because they weren't believing the right thing. And then, a little more context, they question the parents of the man as well. So they go to the man's parents and they say, you know, what happened? And the parents are like, well, he's of age. You can just talk to him. We don't want to get involved in this. And because Jesus had already created such controversy... That we see in verse 22 that the Pharisees had decided that if anyone is following Jesus, they would be kicked out of the synagogue. In other words, if you follow this new upstart rabbi, you can no longer go to church. Okay, This is the, the division that Jesus was causing in the city. And so they're like, well, my son is old enough. He can answer for himself. We're just not going to get involved because we're afraid of getting cast out of the social you know, culture that we have at the synagogue. And so there are those with Jesus and those who are not with Jesus. Okay, this is all context to understand. There's a division about who Jesus is, and there are people who are either with him or people who are against him, and they are not the same group of people. And so then they ask, the Pharisees ask the man about it again in verse 27. And he says, I've already told you, and you don't want to listen. Why do you want to hear it again? And then he says, do you also want to become his disciples? Wow, now they are super mad, right? He's like, what, you want to follow him too? They're like, no, that's not why we're asking. Now you've just made us angry. You know, they're pretty frustrated. And they say, we are disciples of Moses. 
we know God spoke to Moses, but we don't know this man. And so this simple man who is blind is astonished. And I can't help but think that he's being literally and, and deliberately sarcastic here. He says, that's amazing that this guy's doing miracles and yet you don't know anything about him. Like, how do you not know if you are the Pharisees, if you're the priests, if you're the scribes, how do you not know this guy who's doing miracles right under your nose? And now they're really mad, right? And, he's, and they say to him, you were born into utter sin and you're trying to teach us? And so already here in John chapter 9, we're picking up the themes of the parable Jesus is going to tell that explains what's going on, right? You have the astonishing and the astounding grace of God that heals this man who's blind since birth, which is outrageous to the Pharisees because he said, they say, you were born into utter sin, and yet he's the one who received the miracle. He's the one who received the grace of God, and they are the ones who are rejecting Jesus. They are the ones who don't see the grace of God. And how outrageous it is. And we see the arrogance of the Pharisees that puts them in a dangerous predicament. Outrageous grace and dangerous predicament. And so this is what Jesus hears is going on. This is the context that Jesus knows. This is the hubbub in the town. This is what's happening around Jesus. Right? And so he goes and he finds the man probably standing there. Well, we know the Pharisees overhear him. So he shows up again. And he, he goes and talks to them. Talks to the man. And... He actually gives this man a great gift because he tells him something that actually he's been trying to keep a secret for a little while now until this hour has come. The man asks him about the Son of God, and he says, where is he that I could believe in him? And Jesus comes out and tells him, he says, you have seen him, and it is the one who is talking to you. And so Jesus outright declares his divinity, that he is God. And the Pharisees overhear this, and they scoff, and they say, so are we the ones who are blind then? And Jesus essentially goes on to say, well, you claim that you can see, and so you are going to be guilty for not recognizing who it is that's in front of you. And that's my paraphrase of, of verse 41. Right? And so this Jesus comes and basically says, I'm God. I am the Son of Man. I am the one who you've been looking for. He's the one who's talking to you. You've seen him, and he's talking to you right now. He declares he's God, and he says the Pharisees don't get it. And then right at that point, that's when Jesus tells this parable of the Good Shepherd. This is the context in which he now tells this story because he's trying to use a common story to get across uncommon truth or to expose common error that the people have, that they don't see that he is God. He tells this to the audience of the Jews that are there assembled at the synagogue, just the general people in the street, you know, just that are there to see what's going on, and then also a group of Pharisees that are scoffing him. So there's kind of two audiences that are listening to this story as he tells it. I'm going to read John 10, 1 to 19, and then 27 to 31. And you can turn there in your Bibles, or you can tap there on your phones, however you do it, and we'll have it up here too. It's a bit of a long text, but it's important that we hear it. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep, and to him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. And this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. 
I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. And this charge I have received from my father. And there was again a division among the Jews because of these words. And then further down in 2731. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. And the father, I and the father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. And so like all of his parables, Jesus' story here draws out of the everyday common situations that his listeners know, right? Of course, this is still largely an agricultural society, and really it is still today in the Middle East outside of major cities. And so Jesus says, there's many sheep and there's many flocks, and they're in a sheep pen. Right? This is the story that I'm telling you about sheep in a pen. And the pen is guarded with a gate so that thieves can't go straight through the gate. Thieves have to climb over the walls in order to steal the sheep. And they're only there to destroy. But when the good shepherd or the true shepherd arrives, he is recognized and he can go right through the front door of the sheepfold. And when he speaks, it's obvious that he belongs because the sheep come out of the herd, his particular sheep come out of the herd and follow him out into the fields. And not only that his sheep recognize his voice when he calls them by name. He knows them by name. And they know his voice and they follow him. And all of this makes perfect sense to the people listening to Jesus. As he's telling the story, they're like, yeah, we get this. We understand the picture that you're painting. We've seen this a hundred times. Some of them might have been shepherds. Right? They understand shepherding. They understand sheep. They know how it goes. They know that sheep follow the voice of shepherds. They know that thieves try to steal sheep, and that's why they're guarded. And so there's the shepherd, there's the sheep, there's the gate, and there's the voice. These are the elements of the parable that Jesus is telling. They're the elements that he includes in his story for us to learn from. And we don't want to press the story of the shepherd and the sheep far beyond what Jesus actually says in Scripture. Right? So you might think that, you know, well, sheep are dumb, and so, you know, you have to be careful because they're dumb. Or, you know, sheep uh, have wool, and you got to clean the wool and all of these other things. And sheep are also good with mint jelly, but that doesn't mean that God's going to eat us for Christmas, right? So you can't press a parable or an analogy too far. All you can do is take what Jesus has said with his own words and say, this is the element of the parable that I want you to understand, Right? It's about a sheep and a sheep pen and a gate and a voice and thieves. Those are the elements that he's trying to get across. But this crowd doesn't only understand the picture of the sheep and the shepherd and the gate. They understand all of that. But this crowd, we have to understand, 
also knows that there is another lesson that is not very far beneath the surface here that Jesus is telling. Okay, this is not a mystery, I think, to anybody who is listening. This is a Jewish culture steeped in the Old Testament. And so they know as soon as a rabbi starts to talk about shepherds and sheep, that there is another lesson that they are to learn from it. Okay, especially the Pharisees. The Pharisees are not at all mistaken about this nice story that Jesus is telling. You know, this nice agricultural story of a good shepherd and sheep that follow him. They know that Jesus is speaking scripturally, that Jesus is speaking prophetically. Jesus is speaking of his deity. Jesus is not speaking of his goodness. Jesus is talking about his godness. And the Pharisees know it. That's why at the end of the nice story, they pick up stones to stone him. Okay? You don't pick up stones to stone somebody because they tell a nice story about a shepherd and sheep. The Pharisees know exactly what Jesus is saying. And this is the first lesson of this parable. Jesus is directly declaring that he is God. His listeners know the Old Testament. They know the number of times in Scripture the true and the good shepherd is said to be God himself. And of course, you might think right away of Psalm 23 that we heard read and heard that you know, beautiful song about Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. But, but King David is not the first one to call God the shepherd. If you go many, many generations before David earlier, his great, 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 grandfather, right, Jacob, who was blessing Joseph, was the one who named God the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day in Genesis 48, 15. It's Jacob who calls God the shepherd. And then from Genesis forward, God is repeatedly, if you look through the scriptures, uh, God is all the time being referenced as a shepherd, nearly a hundred times, maybe more than a hundred times. And these Pharisees, these priests, these scribes, they memorized all these scriptures, right? This wasn't just you had you know, sword drills in Sunday school and you had you know, 10 or 15 for the end of the month to have memorized. They had the whole Torah memorized. So the Pharisees knew exactly what Jesus was talking about when he said he was the good shepherd. And not only does God refer to himself as the good shepherd, you also find dozens of rebukes against the priests and the Levites and the scribes who God expected to shepherd well, but in fact ended up being thieves. And we could just touch on Ezekiel as one of them in Ezekiel 34. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. And so they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and became food for the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. Listen to that rebuke that God is giving to the priests and the Levites and the scribes from the prophet Ezekiel. He's saying, you were supposed to be healing, you were supposed to be feeding, you were supposed to be caring for, you did not go and seek any of the lost. Wow, echoes here of New Testament things that Jesus is talking about, right? And God, excuse me, God is saying, you took their wool and you ate the fat, you, you stole from the flock, you, you killed them for your own pleasure. You are the thieves and the robbers that are destroying my flock. You think the Pharisees do not pick up on this reference, right? You think the Pharisees, who know their scripture so well, don't know exactly what Jesus is saying? They're the thieves and the robbers. So if they're the thieves and the robbers, then who is Jesus? Jesus says it quite plainly, I'm the good shepherd. 
Oh, and who's the good shepherd? The good shepherd is God. You know, the dots are connected. Nobody's confused here about what Jesus is saying. Jesus is someone very different than anyone who has come before. He is not at all like any other teacher or rabbi or scribe or priest. He is God, and the Pharisees hear his words clearly, and they are shaking their heads, no, no, no. And that's why when the parable ends, the next line of action is, they picked up stones again to stone him. But the onlookers, the townspeople, like the man who was healed and cured of blindness, right? Those that have seen Jesus feed 5,000, heal the sick and the lame, saw him cast out demons, have heard him speak truth like they've never heard before. They're looking on Jesus and they're saying, yes, yes, yes. Pharisees, no, no, no. Townspeople, yes, yes, yes. This is the true shepherd. I hear his voice and it sounds like what I've been waiting to hear my whole life. They love what Jesus is saying. Some of them, not all of them, will be redeemed by the things they hear. They've been dying to hear someone teach and talk like Jesus has taught and talked. They've been dying to hear this voice, and it's resonating with them, and they can be saved. And that's the second lesson of the parable. The first one is that Jesus is blatantly declaring his deity without any question. There's no question here about whether Jesus claimed to be God. He claimed to be God. The second lesson is is that Jesus' followers hear and know his voice. And Jesus has these beautiful ways of describing the relationship between the good shepherd himself and his sheep. He knows his sheep. And that's one of the most blessed things that we can know as a follower of Jesus. When, When we think that nobody else knows us or nobody else understands us, nobody else gets us, right? Nobody knows what we're going through. Nobody knows how we feel. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd and I know my sheep. I know. I know what you're going through. I know how you're broken. I know how you're hurt. I know your guilt. I know your shame. Not only do I know you, but I love you. I know your name. I know everything about you. God of the whole universe will call you by name. Jesus knows exactly what he is telling these people, these these fledgling baby followers of his, his first disciples, as they stand there in the dusty streets and they hear the anger of the Pharisees and the scoffing of the doubters on one hand. Jesus says, but I know you hear me. I know you hear my voice. And I know you by name. And I call your name. And you know it. And you follow. That's what they hear. right? And Jesus knows them. He knows his sheep. And that's such a blessed thing for us who follow him. To know that he knows us. To know that we're known. Nobody can know us like Jesus knows us. And that's the blessing that we have as his followers. And Jesus says, not only am I the shepherd, but I'm also the door to the sheepfold. Right? He says they, did not, they still didn't get it. They didn't understand. So then he told them another parable again. Put a parable inside a parable. He says, not only am I the shepherd, I'm also the door to the sheepfold. Right? You come in through me, in verses 8 and 10. And if you come in through me, come to me through the door that I am, that person will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief only comes to steal steal and destroy. I came that you should have life and have it abundantly. And so Jesus says, I have good pasture for you and I have abundant life for you if you hear my voice and you come through the door. And all Christians have experienced that moment when we discover that there is a single, insistent voice that has come into our lives and that is addressing us by name. 
Right? Any of you who follow Jesus know exactly what I'm talking about. There was that point when you heard the voice of Jesus. There was a point when, as you were maybe dragged to church by your parents, or you were coming because your husband went, or because your wife went, and you were sitting there, and the sermons didn't mean anything. And then there came a point when the message that the pastor was speaking, actually, there was a voice in it that knew you. Yes. And it sounded like the pastor was speaking directly to your heart. Things that he couldn't possibly know about you. That's the voice of Jesus speaking to you through his word. Or you might have read the Bible a hundred times and it never made any sense to you. It's the driest, oldest, most boring book you could have ever read. And then a time comes and you open up the scripture and it speaks to you. And that's the voice of God speaking to you. That is hearing the voice of Jesus. And it's like he's calling you by name because he's speaking right to your circumstance. This is exactly what you needed to hear from him at this point in your life. And you're wondering, where was that voice before? It wasn't there because Jesus wasn't calling you yet. But then you hear that voice, and then you can follow. And so, as followers, as people in the flock of Jesus, he knows our name, and we hear his voice. We hear it in scripture. We hear it in song. We hear it from other believers as they speak scripture and speak truth to us. We hear the voice of Jesus. And it's incredibly joyful and incredibly Enlightening and incredibly transformative as we hear the voice of Jesus. And it draws us out of that old, hurt, dead, hard life that we were in and calls us into abundant life and into green pastures. I know my fellow brothers and sisters have experienced that. But maybe you haven't experienced that yet. Or maybe you're just starting to experience it. And you're wondering, why? what is this new voice in my life that is calling me into something different? That is the voice of the shepherd that's calling to you. Listen to that voice. If you haven't heard it before, I pray you hear it today and start listening. It's like Samuel when he was lying in bed and he hears, Samuel, Samuel. Then he runs next door to Eli. Yes, what, what do you want, Eli? No, I didn't call you. Go back to sleep. Right, then he hears it again. Samuel, Samuel. He runs next door to Eli. What do you want? Nothing. I, I didn't say anything. Three times, right? Third time, Eli finally gets it, right? And if you actually read that passage, you, you hear that the time before Samuel was a time when the voice of the Lord had not spoken to his people for many years. And, and so it's been a long time since people have heard the voice of God like that, right? And Eli finally gets it. He says, Samuel, next time you go back, just answer, speak, Lord, your servant's listening, right? Because he heard the voice of the Lord and Eli figured it out what was going on, right? And then, you know, Samuel... Well, Samuel, Samuel, I won't go into all that, but I mean, listen to that voice. It's important you listen to that voice. So if you're, if you're lying in bed and you wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning and you're wondering what that voice is that's speaking to your heart, that's pressing on those issues in your life, that's the voice of the shepherd that's calling to you, and you would do well to listen to it. I, uh, just a little a current story that's similar to that is uh, I, I do some counseling during the week at uh, Camp, the Mediba, Camp Mediba. And a lot, of the, a lot of the summer workers there attend our church, and so I thought I should, I should go out there once in a while. So I have office hours at Camp Mediva just to be able to talk to the summer staff that they have. And I had, I had one young woman, I'll just call her uh, TM, and uh, so she came into my office and she uh, was asking me about um, various things about her spiritual formation and her, and her walk. And, she, and I, I asked her, I said, well, when did you become a Christian? She said, well, I was about, I was about 16 when I first became a Christian. And I said... She said, I never grew up in a Christian home, I didn't have any Christian family, nothing. I never went to church, never read the Bible, nothing until I was 16. And I said, oh, how'd that come about? She said, well, my, 
My mom and my dad were arguing. My mom just wanted to go to church. She was just looking for peace, and I went with her to church. And uh, and uh, she said uh, she said she stopped going, but I kept going. She said that she said from the moment I sat in the church, it was the first time in my life I heard truth. It's just like amazing, yes. right? It's just like astounding. She said it was the first time I heard real truth. The very first time she went to church, the good shepherd spoke to her. She heard that truth. What an incredible blessing. You know, and her parents want nothing to do with God, but she's just following hard after God, and it's amazing. Yes. But that's the voice, okay? So when, that's the second lesson. The good shepherd knows you, and he speaks to you, and his sheep hear his voice, and they follow his voice. And that's most fully revealed when we see the third thing that I'm going to talk about today, and then there won't be more, just the three. There's so much more in here, we could do like weeks on it, but... The third thing is, is that the shepherd has made an outrageous sacrifice. Verses 11, 15, and 17. Three times in seven verses, Jesus emphasized, I lay down my life for the sheep. And in the Hebrew way of writing, if you say something twice, it's important, right? So you, he started this message by saying, truly, truly, right? So listen, Right? Or, amen, amen. This is important. If you say something twice in Hebrew, it's important. If you say something three times, it's critical. Right? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Right? You say something three times in Hebrew, it is absolutely critical. And three times here, Jesus says, I've laid down my life for the sheep. He's emphasized his sacrifice three times. And he's talking about his death on the cross, of course. None of this is good news unless this shepherd can actually save us from our sin. But Jesus says, I can do it. I can be the sacrifice that brings you abundant and eternal life. Three times he emphasizes this. And Jesus reveals incredible truths very simply about the nature of his death. And it's important that even in just these few sentences, Jesus tells us things about his sacrifice that are super important for us to understand. Things that the wider church in the world has begun to abandon. But Jesus makes very, very clear here. He says, first of all, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down by my own accord. In other words, it's Jesus' voluntary choice to atone for our sin. He was not the victim of circumstance. He was not murdered by powerful political forces. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit, seeing our hopeless predicament that we were in, the dangerous and hopeless situation that we were in, before the foundation of the world planned for our redemption. They knew it would require the sacrifice of the Son, and they planned it before the foundation of the world. This was not a mistake. It was voluntary. As the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians, Ephesians 1, 4-5, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Right, this sacrifice that the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep is not an accident. This was planned. God saw us in our predicament before the world was even formed. And he and Jesus and the Holy Spirit said, we have a plan for rescuing them. And they said, how, how are we going to do justice? How are we going to atone for this sin? And Jesus says, 
I'll die. Yes. I'll die in order to rescue them. This was not an accident. The sacrifice of Jesus is voluntary. He's chosen to do it. He says, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down. I can lay it down, and I can take it up again. Don't think anybody else is doing this except me. The blood of sheep and goats is not going to be enough, the book of Hebrews says. But one has died once for all. I lay down my life for the sheep. And this also sheds light on his death. It's substitutionary death. Right? And there's a large part of the church right now in the world today that wants to get rid of this idea that Jesus is somehow a substitute for our sin. They don't like the idea that another man dies on behalf of another. It's not fair. God is cruel. Or why could he kill his son? Or why do I have to have blood shed for me? And they hate this idea that it is an atoning sacrifice. But Jesus makes it clear right now that it is a substitutionary death. That it was a death on our behalf. He says, I lay down my life for the sheep. There's a substitution going on here. Jesus takes all of our death and all of our shame and all of our sin, and in exchange, we get all of his righteousness. It's the most glorious substitution in the universe. And there's parts of the church that want to deny it. But Jesus makes it clear here in just a few sentences the aspects of his death. It's for us he died, not for himself. If you go on in Ephesians, Paul continues to say in verse 7 in Ephesians 1, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. We have redemption through his blood. Redemption through his blood. We have forgiveness for our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. What have I been saying? His outrageous grace. His outlandish grace. His astonishing grace. His grace... His grace that is so merciful we can't even comprehend it and the Pharisees hate it because God would die on our behalf. And the Pharisees especially know exactly what Jesus is saying here because Jesus is almost quoting Zechariah and Isaiah. Zechariah 13.7 says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. The shepherd is going to be struck, Zechariah prophesies. God will do the striking. He will strike down his own shepherd. And then in Isaiah 53, we read, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, and yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is before his shearers is silent. He poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, and yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Right? Jesus is practically quoting these verses. The Pharisees are not mistaken, nor are any of the other Jews standing in the street, because they all know their Bible too. Right? This is what Jesus is saying. I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life. I am making an astounding sacrifice for my sheep. The shepherd has himself become a sacrifice for the salvation of his sheep. And who wounds the shepherd? Who strikes Jesus? It's the Lord who smites the shepherd. It's God the Father. And so when you look on the cross of Christ, and as Christians we can almost ask ourselves this question. It's an astonishing question. When you look at Jesus hanging on the cross and you think what the Father has done to the Son, you almost have to ask, does the Father love us more than his own Son? That he would strike him down on our behalf? 
Are we loved more than Jesus? Almost, but not quite. Because Jesus deals with that issue in his death too. Look at this, and this is the problem a lot of people have with the atonement. They think that somehow this means God doesn't love the Son or that he's cruel or something. But Jesus cuts that off too. In this little parable, he answers all these questions in like four, four verses, four sentences. Look at verse 17. God clearly loves us deep, deeply. No question about that as we consider the cross. But in verse 17, look at this. Jesus himself says, For this reason the Father loves me. Because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. <laughs> Jesus dying on the cross is the very reason that God has overwhelming love for the Son. And I'm not going to get into the Trinity and you know, all the complications of that relationship. Let's just keep it simple. Right? There's a father and a son, and this father loves his son because he's willing to sacrifice to rescue his sheep. The Father loves the Son so deeply exactly because Jesus lays down his life on the cross for us. Jesus is obedient, even obedient to death on a cross. And so as Jesus is dying on the cross for us, out of his outrageous, gracious love for us, as he is dying, the Father at the same time is loving the Son. The Father is looking and saying, that is my Son who is dying on behalf of my people. And he's filled with pride and love and just overflowing with love towards his son. This is not about Jesus being hated by his father. <laughs> this is about the love of God and the love of the son for us. That he would suffer so much for those that we love together. And so on the cross, our sins are born as they must be born. There has to be perfect justice for our sin. God cannot be unjust. He can't be unfaithful to himself. He has to be a just God or he wouldn't be any God worth worshiping. And so he has perfect justice to deal perfectly with the sin that has to be dealt with. But at the same time, he has perfect love because he didn't have us bear the sin. He bore the sin himself in the death of his son. So perfect justice and perfect love combine at the cross. And we see it in the sacrifice of the good shepherd. So why has Jesus done this? Why has he done this? The last verse is there, verses 28 to 30. He says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Yes. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. And I and the Father are one. Why has Jesus done all this? Why has Jesus gone to the cross? To give us eternal security. He says, the Father, who's greater than everybody, has given them to me. And they're in my hand, and nobody can snatch them out of my hand. And not only that, they're in the Father's hand. And nobody can snatch them out of his hand either. Right? And if you go on, Paul actually says later on in that same book of Ephesians that the Holy Spirit seals us. Right? That he is a guarantee of our salvation. And so we'll just call it triple stamp, no erases. Right? <laughs> Jesus has us. The Father has us. The Spirit has sealed us. Okay, why has Jesus done this? For eternal security for his sheep that hear his voice and follow him. And I heard this the other day, and it made me think. We think of the saints that have gone before us in heaven, right? We have relatives, we have parents, whatever, that have died. They've gone before us in heaven. And we know the greater joy that they are experiencing to be with God, right? They indeed have a greater joy and a greater happiness than we have. But you know what they don't have? They don't have any greater security. We are just as secure 
in our faith in Christ here as they are there. Because Christ died not to lose us, but to rescue us and keep us. And you'll never be snatched out of that hand. When you come to know Jesus, when you hear the shepherd's voice, when you come to know him, he gives you eternal life. And if you could lose that life several years later, it wouldn't be eternal, would it? So when you come to know Jesus, you're in his hand and you're in the Father's hand and the Holy Spirit is sealing you and you are just as secure here in that faith as you would be in heaven. It's just incredible. This is why Jesus did it. This is, this is, why, this is why Jesus came to die, to give his sheep eternal life and to secure them for heaven. Peter says this is why he came, to bring many to God, to bring us to the Father. That's why Jesus did this. So God's outrageous grace is sealed in this astonishing promise. The sheep that hear Jesus' voice and follow him can never be lost. No one can snatch them. And despite all of this, Jesus says at the end, or the, the, you know, the writer in John says, the Pharisees pick up stones to stone him. Can you imagine those Pharisees, right? They, they know all of this in their head, but they've not heard the voice and they've not chosen to follow their arrogance and their pride and their refusal to accept that there is some way of salvation other than their righteousness makes them reach down and pick up a stone to crack Jesus on the head with it because they hate him over it. It's astonishing. But hey, we're not very far away from those Pharisees, some of us, right? Especially before we came to know Christ, right? We heard, we heard the voice, we heard the message, we heard the sermons, we heard the gospel, and we rejected it and rejected it and rejected it until, praise God, we heard that voice and we followed. And I don't know where you're all at. Some of you maybe have been hearing that voice for years and not chosen to follow. Maybe you even go home from this and you, in your mind, pick up a rock and think, I'm just going to throw this garbage out, right? That's the dangerous predicament that you're in if you don't recognize the outlandish and outrageous grace of God. There is no eternal life. There is no green pastures. There is no abundance. There is no security for those that reject this voice. But the amazing thing is, is that it's open to everybody. Anybody can listen to the voice of Jesus. Anybody can follow him. He knows you. He's known you before the foundation of the world. He knows your deepest secret. He knows your worst sin. He knows your most shameful guilt. And he loves you anyway. And he wants you to respond to his voice and follow him. And he will give you security like you've never known. And he will lead you out of the fold into green pastures and into abundant life. Do you hear the voice of Jesus today? Does he speak to you through his word? Does you hear the voice of Jesus behind the words of scripture and through his people? Is Jesus speaking your name and will you follow This is the truth that Jesus has laid bare for us in this parable. For everybody who is listening to hear, he said, I have sheep that are not of this fold. You know who he's talking about? He's talking about the Gentiles. He's talking about the rest of the world. He's talking about everybody who comes after. I have sheep who aren't Jews. I have sheep who are Samaritans and Greeks and Russians and Aztecs and Canadians and all through history, all through the world. He's got sheep that he wants in his fold. They just need to hear his voice. You can listen to his voice today. He's the good shepherd waiting for you. He's the good shepherd the world's been waiting for. And he's laid down his life to grant us eternal life if we'll listen and follow. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth. We thank you for these parables that Jesus in just a few short sentences 
unpacks for us such incredible universe-shattering truth. Lord, I pray that we would hear his voice, that this would not just fall on stony hearts and deaf ears, but that your voice through your Holy Spirit would be speaking behind the story and behind the words. You are calling your sheep. You know them by name. I pray they would respond. And that we as Christians, as followers, as sheep, that we would listen to you for your voice every day. And that we would follow it. Be encouraged. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.